Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Roy Green Show podcast. Global News investigative journalist Sam Cooper has done incredible work breaking stories about China's invasive behaviors and interference in our federal elections, including this week reporting, quote, Trudeau briefed multiple times since 2022 on election interference. Advisor testifies. That was the headline. Trudeau briefed multiple times since 2022 on election interference. Advisor testifies, end quote. In this case, the testimony before a parliamentary committee was delivered by Trudeau's national security advisor, Jody Thomas. There's also the issue of Chinese police stations, as I said, and the cooperation that exists between universities in this country and China's People Liberation Army officers on uh, on research. And some of it has to do with weapon systems. Yeah, just, <laughs> if you don't see the questions, then, uh, well, it's a case of willful blindness, which is also the title of Sam Cooper's amazing book, Willful Blindness, How a Network of Narcos, Tycoons, and CCP Agents Infiltrated the West. How are you, Sam? I'm great, Roy. So good to talk to you again. Um, let me. Where do we begin, Sam? Maybe, maybe with your, uh, maybe with your global news story headline: Trudeau briefed multiple times in 2022 on election interference. Advisor testifies. Where do you want to start? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm looking back at all the stories, uh, consequential stories we've broken since November 2022 last year, and. It's over six by now. Uh, bombshells would be, I think, an understatement. But yes, the, that story re- related to testimony. Ms. Thomas, the National Security Advisor, was called to testimony, in fact, at this committee hearing, which stemmed from our revelations in uh, last November. And so uh, she was being uh, tested very sharply by, by uh, some MPs on, on that committee about uh, Really, they were asking directly, uh, what does the prime minister know about what Global News reported last November or what Global News reported just uh, over a week ago? Let's start with that one, Roy. The, that story, uh, perhaps the most specific and detailed uh, about uh, intelligence sourcing that I obtained, which pointed both to documents and claims about a brief in September 2019 Two days before the federal nomination periods closed, my sources uh, asserted that a meeting took place where a senior Liberal Party staff with security clearances, this, this is important because they can be told some detailed and sensitive information. The information, according to my sources, was that the Liberal candidate in, in Toronto area named Han Don was suspected by CSIS to be involved in Chinese foreign interference. The other piece of the allegation was that a very uh, prominent and senior Liberal Party fundraiser at the time, a former Ontario Liberal minister named Michael Chan, was alleged to be a close associate with Mr. Don 
and also a piece of target. So those two very simple, powerful allegations were presented to the liberals, according to my sources, with the intention that they could uh, be advised that Mr. Don might not be, sorry, Mr. Don would not be the right candidate for Canada. And uh, the story has many revelations, but uh, in a nutshell, my sources said the, the warning was ignored. Mr. Don proceeded to win. He's been reelected. And uh, my sourcing asserts that Mr. Don is a witting affiliate in these Chinese Communist Party interference networks. Very important to say Mr. Don strongly denies the allegations, says he will defend himself. Mr. Chan also very strongly and continuously on Twitter denying the allegations. But Roy, I'll, I'll end my first answer here. What's important, according to my sources, I've been, as you know, Roy, studying this file for years. They say Mr. Chan has a long history in the Liberal Party at the federal level, now at the municipal level, provincial level in Ontario, of being a key and pivotal fundraiser for major party leaders and figures, also with the capacity to recommend personnel in Liberal governments and candidates. So the question raised, according to my intelligence sourcing, is could the Liberal, Trudeau Liberal government be uh, turning a blind eye to warnings about Mr. Chan and his associates due to Mr. Chan's prominence and fundraising capacity within that party. Uh, that's a hugely relevant question. And uh, Sam, here's what uh, a little bit of what uh, Justin Trudeau had to say about Han Dong. I want to make everyone understand fully that Han Dong uh, is an outstanding member of our team and suggestions that uh, he is uh, somehow not loyal to Canada um, should not be entertained. It's kind of a weak way to end that uh, that statement. I've just it was like uh, let me find a, a way to, to to get out of this sentence. That's what it sounded like sounded like to me. D does it surprise you, Sam, that Mr. Trudeau continues to balk at calling a public inquiry? I mean, the pressure's on him. The opposition wants it. Canadians want it. Uh, polling shows that very clearly. Does it surprise you that he's taken the continues to take the stance he has? Um, Roy, for months I've had one sort of thought, and this is a surprising thought, that, you know, the second or third day after our November uh, 7th bombshell dropped, Mr. Trudeau could have come out and said, we could have been more transparent. All parties faced uh, these interference issues from a number of countries. China, most, uh, all the intelligence, there's no, no debate. China is the biggest threat to Canada. Our uh, government has been working on foreign interference laws for, for over a year because, Roy, I know that's true, buried deep within the government. And Mr. Trudeau could have said, we have about four serious amendments. We're going to table them right away. And that could have solved uh, his government's problems. And uh, again, I, let me stress, all major, this is the intelligence, all major parties face these infiltration issues, not just the Liberal Party. It does appear the Liberal Party most, uh, perhaps most severely infiltrated, according to my intelligence, and others have reported same. Uh, but no, uh, Mr. Trudeau did not take that stance. So this takes me to my next thought. Am I surprised that he, uh, sorry, the Liberal Party may not want an inquiry because uh, a major fundraiser uh, could have ties to Chinese intelligence for many years and could have been facilitating fundraising with connections to Chinese intelligence into the, the coffers 
of the campaigns of major party leaders, including people now in the prime minister's office that, that have been, you know, around these circles. Well, I know if we're looking at answers for why you wouldn't want something to be tested publicly, that that could be a, a pretty good reason and a, a scary reason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Global News, you reported last December, and this covers, uh, repeats a little bit of what you said a minute or two ago, Sam, at least 11 candidates in the 2019 election in the GTA were targeted by China's foreign interference networks. Some were likely unaware they were being targeted, but others willingly cooperated. When I read that, it just absolutely gave me chills, because if others willingly cooperated, and the government knows this, then that is a hugely relevant issue. Sam, can we talk a little bit about uh, who has testified that China uh, was engaged in interfering uh, in Canada's 2019 and 2021 elections? Uh, I mean, we have uh, Richard Fadden, former head of CSIS, and Gerald Butts, the former principal secretary to Justin Trudeau, suggesting a nonpartisan uh, deep look is required. Who have we heard from? Oh, we, uh, we've heard from, uh, along with Mr. Fadden being the most prominent former security official to advocate that uh, a public inquiry is really the only way to go to avoid some of the partisan point scoring we see in committee hearings. You're right, uh, Mr. Butts, uh, very close to the prime minister at his office, that would have been uh, Mr. Butts perhaps would have known some of the people uh, that my sources say were in that room uh, for that briefing uh, in September 2019. Uh, we have uh, other national security officials uh, in Ottawa. Uh, sometimes we call it the Ottawa bubble, but that in my, my take of that word means that there's, sometimes there's group thinking. But we have a lot of people who are experts on national security. Some of them were quoted uh, in my first story, all, all now saying that uh, a public inquiry, just because the level of seriousness of the allegations. As you know, it's not just Global News that has reported some some blockbuster stories here and access intelligence. Uh, the confidence of Canadians, we've seen polls recently that uh, a majority of Canadians do now believe or fear that China had undue influence in the last one or two elections. So to restore that, or, or if that confidence is eroded and in danger, and that's an important point, Roy, I don't want to take a sidetrack here, but uh, a multi-partisan panel of parliamentarians uh, looking into security and intelligence wrote a very deep report in 2019, tabled for our prime minister, saying our democracy, uh, the institutions that underwrite our democracy are being eroded. They're in danger. We can't take our sovereignty for guaranteed and that we need to follow Australia's example, as you flagged in your intro. So there, there's just a... So much evidence of, uh, of uh, sound minds in Canada saying we, we not only do we need deep reforms, they've been saying that for a while, but now those minds are saying that we need a, 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 a fully transparent, well, as transparent as possible with national security, look into what happened in these elections. And not only that, I want to stress one more thing in this answer, Roy. You mentioned police stations at the start. I think it's so important for your listeners to know because, uh, as you know, I've got very sharp visibility in Ontario and British Columbia on the ground-up networks involved. Look, the suspects in these Chinese police stations are very feared in diaspora communities. I know this because I talk to the people in the communities. They say they don't feel protected in Canada. And what do you know? These very same 
obscured suspects running these police station networks are, are very evident in the alleged election, fraudulent election uh, funding of political candidates in Canada in these election interference networks. You can't separate the crackdown on diaspora communities to the efforts to uh, influence and fund Beijing's favored candidates. It's just a hugely concerning situation. And you're right to ask, Mr. Singh, is this a confidence issue? I can't think of a more more shocking, undermining confidence issue that, that would test the Liberal and NDP agreement. Yeah, the more I... The more I listen, the more I watch you, the more I read your stories, your reports, Sam, the more respect I have for the work that you do, because you lay it out in a way that it's so obvious to all of us, except for maybe one person in this country, that a public inquiry has to take place. Now, can we talk a little bit about uh, about how money factors into the story? I'm just quoting out of context here. From one of your stories, the flow of funds between Canadian targets and Chinese officials. Can, how does money factor into all of this? Well, uh, let's t- time travel back to that first November story. I cited intelligence from sourcing that said Toronto's consulate uh, 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 arranged a significant or large clandestine transfer of funds to interfere in the 2019 election. And these funds uh, we reported. Uh, passed through uh, intermediaries. That would be a, a, a well-known community group, probation group in Toronto, into the hands of a uh, allegedly another politician not even running in that race. And so uh, through a number of stories since that, remember, let's keep our eyes on that major allocation, large clandestine transfer funds from the Toronto consulate to interfere in the election we've reported goes into a very sophisticated network. And this, Roy, comes from documents. Uh, they explain that uh, the network includes political staff of candidates. It includes politicians not running for office in the election. It includes intelligence officers in the consulates in Canada. And it includes, probably most importantly, as a means of uh, clandestine or covert activity, community leaders. These would be the people that... Uh, would appear to be grassroots leaders in the Asian Canadian community, but uh, CSIS believes and reports that they have been co-opted and controlled by intelligence in the consulates and used as a way, a means to uh, conceal the flow of funds, support, and other means to help candidates get elected. So I want to stress that last point. There's been a lot of denial that a senior uh government officials knew about transfers of funds from China into uh, candidates' campaigns in the network. It's it's like a money laundering activity. China, not just China, but mostly China, in this case, uses uh, fronts. We call them straw men. Uh, The money laundering term would be nominees to filter money into Canada's political system and sort of to to, uh, maintain deniability. This is not a case that's going to disappear. This is not an issue that Canadians are going to say, well, let's move on to something else. It's not going to happen. Canadians, by majority, just think of the Angus Reid poll. They want a public inquiry into China's interference in our federal elections in 2019 and 2021. Canadians want that. The opposition parties want it. The New Democrats, the Bloc Québécois, the Conservative Party of Canada want it. 
They said so. They passed a motion in committee in Parliament. The Liberals don't want it. And Mr. Trudeau says enough is being done. To investigate, really? Well, the former uh, head of CSIS, in favor of a public inquiry, as is the um, National Security Advisor to Mr. Trudeau. But still, he insists no public inquiry. So the question becomes, and we talked about this a little earlier today, should Jagmeet Singh make the calling of a public inquiry into China's interference in Canada's uh, uh, 2019 and 2021 federal elections, a condition for the Liberal NDP confidence and supply agreement to remain in place? Do you believe Justin Trudeau is intentionally keeping the truth about China's interference in Canada's federal elections from Canadians? We're joined by uh, the leader of the federal NDP. How are you, Mr. Singh? Doing well. Thank you so much. You score very well with Canadians when they just are asked, who do you like of the leaders? Who do you like? It's the old, uh, who would you sit down with a, for a beer with, you know, or I don't know, a Coke or whatever. You score well. <laughs> people like you. Mm-hmm. But there are people who are, and I've seen the emails today, who ask this question or make this statement. You and your party want a public inquiry. So clearly you believe this is in the best interest of Canada and Canadians. Meanwhile, Mr. Trudeau says no. So when does the interest of Canadians supersede the existing agreement between your party and the Liberals? Well, that's not a decision we're making today, but I can tell you there's been a number of times when uh, we've put forward an idea and the Liberals and the Conservatives, frankly, have said no. And we kept on pushing and we ended up getting it. One of those is the GST rebate which put uh, nearly $500 in the pockets of 10 million Canadians. When we presented this idea, thinking that this would be a good idea to provide a little bit of relief to folks, the Liberals came out against it, the Conservatives came out against it. We kept on fighting, and months later, we got all parties to agree. And in November, people received that doubling of the GST. Okay, so So we're not giving up. We're going to keep on fighting. I hear you. I hear what you're saying, but you're not answering my question. And I, I preface this intentionally that people like you, they just viscerally like you, you're a likable guy. But they want leadership. And when you have a majority of the people of the country saying they want a public inquiry, when you have your party and the other opposition parties saying the same thing, and the liberals say no, and the prime minister says no, you have this supply and confidence agreement with the, with the liberals and Mr. Trudeau. Does it? At what point does that become a situation that you revisit Mr. Singh, and say, hey, we can't continue with this because it's not what Canadians want. Do you not see, uh, is there not some connection between what's happening now and your agreement with the Liberals? Well, there's always an opportunity for us to revisit that. So that remains an open an open uh, question. We can always revisit, and we will uh, constantly make that analysis. Right now, we've made that demand, and I gave the example of the GST rebate because um, we, we want to see a, a public inquiry. Right. And just because we've heard a no today or we've heard a no recently doesn't make us give up. We're going to keep on fighting. But you haven't and heard anything that's from the prime minister that suggests he might change his mind. Have well, you? that was the same thing with the GST rebate, frankly. Yeah, but it's Initially, not the same. There's no equivalence. He came in out opposed to it, and it took some months before we were able to force the government to do it. So okay. I, I'm saying I'm not precluding, I'm not in any way ruling out that it could come to a point that we've got to exercise that ability. Mm-hmm. That's something that we absolutely have the ability to do. I'm just saying that's not a decision we're making today. Okay. And uh, what we are doing is going to, we're going to continue to apply pressure. Like we've done in the past, we've been told no uh, on many things. You know, we were told no on the dental care. We were told no on pharmacare. Right now, kids in our country get... They're not getting the pharmacare, yeah. 
Yeah, and Pharmacare is going to be happening. The legislative framework, which the Liberals and Conservatives voted against not two years ago, is going to actually happen this year. So we're not giving up just because we hear a no, not just because the government doesn't want to do something. We don't back down. We're okay, but the agreement is in play. We've got a track record of getting things done. The agreement is in play, depending on the situation. Is that what I hear you saying? It's, it's always in play. Okay. It's going to be a constant question that we ask ourselves uh, throughout the throughout the, the term of the agreement. We're going to mm-hmm. constantly ask questions. Do we want to continue or not? Uh, is, is the government doing what's needed or not? It's okay. going to be an ongoing question. Why do you believe Mr. Trudeau refuses to support a public inquiry into China's alleged actions? Why? That is something that is completely... Uh, I have no clue why he would not want to uh, get this out of the partisanship of the committee, which is clearly not working. And in committee, it's become clear that it's all about scoring points because the the very serious allegations around nomination meetings in both elections those um, those touch on liberal and conservatives. And so, and and then foreign interference when it comes to China touches on the the liberals more. The foreign interference when it comes to Russia uh, potentially touches on the conservatives. So they're both trying to play this game about who's worse or who's to blame. And we frankly don't care about who's worse. We want to actually protect our democracy. And we okay. think that this is clearly something that, that cries out for a public inquiry, the nonpartisan uh, independence, transparency, where the goal is to safeguard our, our elections and safeguard our democracy. And the goal isn't to try to score points on each other. Yeah, you've got Richard Fadden, the former head of CSIS, and Gerald Butts, the former principal secretary to Justin Trudeau, suggesting a nonpartisan uh, deep look should take place. And then you have the China's police stations in Canada, the re- shared research programs at Canadian universities between university researchers and the P- People's Liberation Army. These are all issues that are, that are of concern, and these are all issues that you know and I know are going to be part of the election discussion whenever the election happens. Um, in... Uh, it just seems so obvious to me that, that this is what Canadians want and you want and your party wants. Absolutely. It, to, to me, I mean, uh, this is a good and the only, question to be put to the prime minister. Like, why? Well, why not? Yeah. This would, this would remove any sort of the partisanship. It would uh, give Canadians more confidence. And, and while we know that this didn't impact the outcome of the election, it's still quite serious that a, that a foreign government would get involved in who is selected as a candidate. It's pretty serious, and we don't want things to escalate any further. So let's stop this in its tracks. Let's nip this in the bud. Take these really concerning allegations seriously and do everything we can to identify the exact nature of the problem and look at real solutions so that we can prevent this from happening in the future. Will you speak with Mr. Trudeau about this directly, or have you already? We haven't yet, and it's something that I have uh, regular meetings with the Prime Minister to uh, look at the ongoing elements of the agreement, and uh, absolutely, I'll be bringing this up. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really really disturbing. What's the number one issue for you uh, and your party right now in this country? I would say it's uh, cost of living and healthcare. Uh, both are kind of connected because the concerns around healthcare are that as we see more and more for profit um, focus in our healthcare system, it's going to create more and more costs for Canadians even though there's claims that it'll be covered by the provincial healthcare programs, the auditor generals of provinces have pointed out that these for-profit clinics always find a way to upsell and make people charge, charge them out of pocket. So it's going to be a cost on Canadians to be about who can afford to get the healthcare they need. 
going to totally change the landscape of, of what our healthcare system is. And then the cost of living is already putting so much pressure on Canadians. So those are the two things that I'm really focused on. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Former Team Canada, Toronto Maple Leafs, Calgary Flames, and Buffalo Sabres goaltender Don Edwards. And I've known Don for years. And his wife, Tannis, and the Edwards family. And I've worked with them and on uh, this terrible situation that their family faces. And that is the murder of Don's parents, Arnold and Donna Edwards, in 1991 by George Lovey of Hamilton. Lovey had been dating Don's sister, Michelle. She ended the relationship or wanted to, and uh, Lovey stalked Michelle. And when she ran to her parents' home, he followed her and he murdered Arnold and Donna Edwards. He's found guilty of first-degree murder, double homicide, so two first-degree murder convictions. So he spent a couple of decades in prison, and then the parole board steps in and granted day parole. And now Lovey spends several nights a week, not in his prison cell, but in his own apartment. You think about that. And Mr. Edwards, Don, feels full parole may soon follow. As I said, I've known the Edwards family since 1991, and I've broadcast their story. I served with Don's sister, Jessie, on the board of the National Crime Victims Advocacy Organization, Caveat. How are you, Don? I'm great, Roy. Thank you so much for uh, touching base with me again. Yeah, it's what your family is forced to endure by the justices in this country is cruel, absolutely cruel. Don, what do, what do Canadians need to know about uh, about Lovey? Uh, basically, the threat he is to society. Um, he's shown no remorse. You know, there's been no um, compassion by him. Um, you know, he didn't fulfill all of the requirements of his parole. Um, the Pro Board of Canada and Corrections Canada swept a lot of the stuff as far as the uh, educational uh, procedures that he had to go through. Uh, he did not fulfill those. Um, he remains a threat to, to us. The Pro Board of Canada clearly indicated that. Uh, he's still a threat to women. Um, you mentioned earlier, Roy, um, that he was not only charged with two counts of first-degree murder, he was counted charged with one count of attempted murder on my sister as well. Yes. Five weeks before that, he was also charged with sexual assault and unlawful com uh, confinement with a weapon. Um, after the, the charges and he was convicted of the first degree murders and the attempted murder that uh, those, uh, those charges were stayed. Uh, we did not, you know, it was the crown that decided to drop them. It was not the decision of the family because they honestly thought that the two charges, the, the two charges of first-degree murder and the one count of attempted murder would keep um, George Lovey incarcerated for many, many years. Um, but we've also witnessed and experienced that the, the 
Supreme Court of Canada has uh, overturned some things as far as uh, the release of uh, convicted uh, felons, uh, especially of the mass magnitude of uh, first-degree murder. Um, as you and I have discussed in the past, uh, we, you know, the families in New Brunswick with Justin Bork yeah. are also feeling it, and that was three Mounties that were killed there. So this is across Canada. This is just an, a situation of the Edwards family trying to make noise and uh, create uh, airspace and media space to promote what we're after and what we wanted to get done. It's across Canada. It's just that the government and Justin Trudeau and the Liberals have changed this country, or at least Canada, into a totalitarian state. And uh, for the most part, you know, they've swept a lot of the laws to protect Canadians underneath the rug. Yeah. It's so disturbing because some of the conversations we've had, both on and off the air, Don, have had to do with how the parole board has treated Lovey. And I've always had the sense that Lovey's been treated far more fairly and uh, there's been far more interest displayed toward Lovey than there has been toward, toward your family. And when victims' impact statements were involved, uh, Lovey always seemed to get the, uh, the consideration and um, and that that's an ongoing reality, and we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that he has, in fact, continued to threaten you and your family, has he not? Yes, he has. The weird thing about this, Roy, is we look back on the trials back in 1992 when we finally went to court, the Ontario Supreme Court, to you know, over the murder charges, and you know that was uh, was overseen by Judge uh, Nick Borkovich. Um, during that trial, Lovey took the stand in his own defense. Um, 30 to 45 minutes in a cross-examination by Assistant Crown Prosecutor Alexander Paparella. Uh, Lovey did not return to the stand at a lunch break. In fact, he went to his cell in the holding center in the courthouse and went into a, a fit. So he never did return to the to, to the stand in the court. That uh, With him not returning, that set Canadian history. It set the trial on, back on its ears by 10 to 11 days. And then at the first parole hearing in, in uh, 2011, we went to Gravenhurst. Uh, the family, the entire was, family was there. We went into the, uh, the uh, parole hearing. We all read our statements. And uh, when we came back to hear what George Lovey had to say, once again, he did not return. So um, this, j j this individual is a manipulator. It was clearly indicated by Judge Borkovich when he instructed the jury that he did try and manipulate the court. And uh, he tried to manipulate the, and has um, manipulated the Parole Board of Canada and Corrections Canada. I was just thinking about Lovey, and you told us that he essentially controlled the agenda during the Parole Board hearings. He decided when he was going to be there, he decided when he was going to testify, and he decided when he wasn't going to testify. And yet you as a family had to play according to his rules. And and I just looked at the um, one of the quotes in uh, Sean Fine's article. You said, at one time, I was a very proud Canadian. I wore the sweater of Canada in the 1981 Canada Cup. I'm not a proud Canadian anymore. How can I be? I thought the justice system is there for people who abide by the laws and their job is to protect the victims. Um, I don't see how you could feel any differently. Has anybody ever apologized to you? Does anybody ever come to you like a crown attorney or a parole board member and say, hey, this is the way the process goes, and we're sorry. I'd like to change it, but I can't. Has anybody ever said anything like that to you? No. The, the Crown Attorney, in our case, uh, 
assistant crown attorney Alexander Paparella did an, an amazing job. Uh, Judge Nick Borkovich oversaw the case and ruled on the case and instructed the jury. He did a phenomenal uh, job. Um, it, it's at the higher level, Roy, when you get to the the, the, the government, um, in this case, the liberal government now, the Supreme Court justices that are following their lead, uh, the parole board um, of Canada who has taken the direction from the liberal government, and yes, it goes right do. down. I mean, it starts at the top and filters down, and as law-abiding citizens of Canada, we're the ones that pay the price. I mean, I, I, you know, my sisters and I have talked. I mean, I've, you, you, you are well aware of it. You've, you were in committees with Jesse. I mean, our sis, our family has suffered incredibly, yeah. incredibly throughout this. Uh, the psych, psychological and physical, physical, uh, physiological damages done to us is incredible. Uh, we've all suffered post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, the nightmares uh, continue. Just thinking that George Levy is back on the streets and virtually controlling his own cards is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, not even to the point point right now where he hasn't even got an, a an ankle bracelet. I found out the other day after talking to my sister as well that he's requested to visit various areas. He's also requested, requested with the parole board to be released from Sudbury to go to places like Grimsby and Brantford, Brantford to visit, Hamilton to, to move from Sudbury to Hamilton to serve out his parole. Uh, and as you know, that's in our backyard. I mean, my, yeah. we have family that live there. I mean, it's within miles. Brantford is eight miles from Caledonia where my my wife was raised and I played my minor hockey. We still have many, many nephews and nieces that still live there. I have family that live in the Hamilton area. We have family that live in the Niagara region. We have, you know, we in the Kawartha region. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but you know, these are the areas that, you know, we're most concerned about and the respect we get from the parole board of Canada is, is quite uh, obvious. It's, it's a shame on what we've, we've gone through, but we continue to fight. I mean, we're, we're strong. We're, we fight for, the rest of Canada, we're just not fighting for ourselves. We're fighting for all of Canada. Yeah. Victims and their families do that so often. And they're the ones who step up for everybody else or the rest of the country. They're the ones who say, I don't want you to suffer what we've suffered. And so I'm going to take it on myself or as a family, we'll take it on ourselves to try to represent the, the, the interests of Canadians. And it's always so incredibly powerful and strong and so... Um, so uh, supportive of, of families who've suffered so much to do so much for others. Now, when it comes to Lovey, and it, and you, you're quite convinced he's going to get full parole, right? Absolutely. Because he's on the way, clearly. Yeah. Right. You know, I, Roy, you raised an interesting point. You know, when I wore that sweater of, of, of Canada in the 1981 Canada Cup in Montreal, and I was, you know, part of the team of 1981 Canada Cup, and you know, when I played that semifinal game against the Russians and when Roger Doucette sang the national anthem, I had tears coming down my eyes. I was so proud. I was so proud because I knew I, my, my mom and dad were watching back in their home. I knew that my aunts and uncles, my cousins, everyone that I knew, my friends, former teammates, current teammates, whatever else be, they were all watching and all hoping and, you know, rooting for us and whatever else may be. But what our families endured, I mean, I lost my pride. I mean, how could I not? I mean, we went, we went, and if you remember a gentleman, uh, Stan Keyes, who was the MVP yeah, representative, he put a bill up in front of the uh, parliament that was Bill C-330. I'll never forget it. We traveled from Ottawa. I, I traveled from, from Los Angeles when I was working for the LA Kings. 
and was sat there. And although that bill was promised, it was a private member's bill. And although the private private member's bill was expected to pass and he was promised it would pass, you know, the opposition, the assistant of the leader stood up and negated that at about 8.30 at night. I mean, we've seen it all. We've witnessed it all. And the parole board, you know, when we sit there and have gone through it and sat in, sitting in Gravenhurst, Gravenhurst, going through these parole hearings and writing victim impact statements, it goes on and on and on. And his freedoms, Lovey's, continue to go on and on and on as well. What about the, uh, uh, we have about a minute, Don, and we'll, we'll talk again for sure, but uh, in that minute, can you share with us what's going on, what might go on as far as tracking him is concerned, if in fact he is granted opportunities that he's demanding, and that's to, <laughs> to get right into the neighborhood of your family? Well, he's, he, his latest request was to go to Brantford. Um, the Parole Board of Canada said he would have an ankle monitor. Well, Jesse, as you know, is a, I mean, she's an advocate of, of all of this. And she's a bulldog. And, uh, you know, the Hamilton Police Force, uh, Hamilton Wentworth Police Force, no longer have the funding to be able to monitor that. And we're now going to check through to check to see if the Brantford or Haldeman um, Police Force have the funding for that anymore because that funding was all taken away from him. So he can wear as many ankle bracelets as he wants, but nobody's tracking him. An Ipsos public affairs poll conducted for Global News and released just days ago shows a dead heat between the federal liberals and conservatives among voters nationally. What do you think could change that dynamic? And I'm thinking about area codes here. We've all heard them when it comes to federal elections. The area codes that make ultimately make the difference and result in who, well, deciding uh, who gets elected, 905, 416, 514, 604, and 250905, Southern Ontario, 416, Toronto, 514 Montreal, 604 Vancouver, Lower Mainland, and 250. Not the rest of British Columbia, but uh, much of uh, Vancouver Island. All right. What, what, what's going to change? What's going to take to change the reality? And uh, the other question that I have is how do you, I'll ask you this um, in a call in segment in a few minutes. How do you predict the next federal election is going to turn out? We've heard all sorts of theories. Daryl Bricker is the CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. He's the author of Next, which is all about what's next in this country of ours. Well, man, it's fascinating stuff. And I, I say this every time Daryl's on. Everybody in this country should read Daryl's book, Next. So, uh, Daryl, thank you uh, very much for, for joining us, um, as always, so we, we have, if I understand correctly, if we're looking at public support in this country for the liberals and the conservatives, if we take the New Democrats out of the picture for a moment, is it still a dead heat between the liberals and, and, and the conservatives? Yeah, it is a dead heat, Roy, but uh, dead heats tend to go to the liberals. I mean, they've lost the, uh, the popular vote in the last two uh, federal elections, mainly because what happens is the conservatives overperform in uh on the prairie provinces or within the prairie provinces, particularly Alberta and uh, Saskatchewan. They also do pretty well in British Columbia, by the way. Uh, but um, what that does is it kind of inflates their national vote. And what they really have to do better in is, is the province of Ontario and also the province of Quebec. Uh, if they could have a bit of a breakthrough in Quebec, it would make a real difference to the outcome of the election campaign. But most important for them is they have to increase their support by probably you know, seven, eight points uh, in the in the suburbs of the major cities of Ontario 
if they can do that, it would be a different election result. Daryl, how significantly will events like, I was going to say stories, but it's more than a story. It's an event. It's a series of events now. How significantly will events like the uh, accusation, the the determination that uh, China interfered with our 2019 and 2021 federal elections play? How, how significantly will that play with the electorate? And, and, I, and I add to this, this writer, with more and more information coming out, with more and more public officials like Richard Fadden, the former head of CSIS, calling for a public inquiry, with more of these developments taking place and with the prime minister remaining obstinately determined to not uh, go forward with and support uh, public inquiry, how, how will that affect uh, the voters? Well, it drags them back into that uh, that persona uh, that doesn't work for them at all. And, you know, it's it's exactly the same thing going all the way back to SNC-Lavalin, where, you know, the government gets very defensive. Uh, the prime minister basically dismisses uh, whatever the allegations are. And then over a period of time, we find out more and more, and the pressure increases, so the government has to do something. That's where we're back to again. Uh, who knows how this one is going to turn out? Um, you know, anybody who knows Steve Chase and, and Bob Fife at the Global Mail know they never quit. Uh, and also the reporting that's come out of Global News uh, on this on this topic as well, they're not going to quit. So there's going to be more that's going to come out on, on, on what happened here. And what it does is it pushes the government into a position of defensiveness. And whenever they're you know uh, confronted on this question of ethics or the prime minister is presenting himself as though he's... Uh, you know, fighting against allegations that are coming his way about, you know, his own personal behavior. What did he know and what didn't he know and what did he do or didn't didn't do about it? This puts him right back into that same persona that people really don't like that we've seen all the way back to 2019. And if he's there, he can't talk about anything positive that the government wants to do. Okay. And other than Justin Trudeau, who are the power brokers in the Liberal Party? Who, who can carry the Liberal banner if it's not Justin Trudeau? Well, you know, my, my assessment of the situation is nobody. I mean, there's nobody that has sufficient profile within the Liberal Party um, the way that Justin Trudeau does. And, and not only that, since coming uh, into power, the Liberal Party has become more of just a personal vehicle for the Prime Minister. So, you know, what is the Liberal Party all about these days? Well, it's about supporting, supporting Justin Trudeau and his particular views of what the future should be, and the views of those people who surround him specifically. So there hasn't been a lot of space available for anybody else in this government to build up enough profile where they could easily take over and and win the next election campaign. So no Justin Trudeau, no Liberal Party? Well, there was no Liberal Party before Justin Trudeau. That's true. 33 seats. I mean, (laughs) yeah, if you take a look back to 2015, I mean, if Jack Layton had uh, uh, not unfortunately come down what he'd come down with, and had fought the 2015 election, probably would have won it, and probably would have been in a position at least to form a minority government. The only reason uh, that Justin Trudeau became prime minister was Tom Mulcair became the leader of the uh, of the NDP, and at the start of that campaign was well ahead of both Trudeau and Stephen. I remember that. So yeah, so I mean, Justin Trudeau resuscitated the Liberal Party from uh, basically being pretty much dead built a cult of personality around himself, built an infrastructure around him personally, and that personal brand is really what the Liberal Party is. And without him, it's difficult to see what's left. Jagmeet Singh was on uh, on this program an hour ago, and uh, I suggested to him, asked him actually, whether he should make um, uh, the calling of a public inquiry into China's interference in Canada's 
2019 and 21 uh, federal elections, a condition for the Liberal NDP confidence and supply agreement to remain in place. He said he's always willing to, I'm paraphrasing here, of course, he's always willing to uh, review the agreement and it's always there to be reviewed, but uh, they're not going to make that decision now. Now, uh, does Mr. Singh have an opportunity here that's staring him in the face and uh, it, it, would it be wise for him to tie that agreement with the liberals to the uh, support by Mr. Trudeau for a public inquiry or not so much? Well, Mr. Singh is in a position when you look at public opinion, when he's the, the, the leader of the third party, but basically he's not battling Pierre Polyev and the conservatives. He's battling Justin Trudeau to, to who's going to be the champion for the progressive side of the political agenda. So the question is, is he just going to, you know, happy be happy to be the caboose on the liberal train, or at some place does he want? At some point, does he want to have want to be the engineer? This is going to give him the uh, the, the chance to, to do that. But what we've seen from Jagmeet Singh since he's come into the the, uh, the leadership of the NDP is that there's a there's a lack of of um, I would say a sense that he could actually lead the progressive movement. Uh, in this country, or lead the progressive vote in this country, and he always backs off when he gets a chance. And he has continued to back off uh, as part of this uh, agreement that he has with the Liberal Party. So at some point, um, he's going to have to decide, does he want to take over from the Liberal Party and replace the Liberal Party, which was Jack Layton's mission. That's what he was doing. Yes. Uh, but Jagmeet Singh seems to have backed away from it. Yeah, I had that sense when I was talking to him that he... He just wasn't comfortable talking about that. And that, you know, for, for the electorate, people want somebody who's going to make a statement and stand behind them and take action and stand behind the action they take if they want to be leaders. Now, I'm curious between now and 2025, we could have an election, I suppose, before 2025. Um, but between now and 2025 and the next 18 to 24 months, do you see the opportunity or the likelihood for the electorate in this country to become really engaged and really demanding something like we might have been in 1993 when... When Brian Mulrooney walked out the door and threw Kim Campbell the keys and said, good luck? Yeah, there's, I think there's every potential that that could happen. I, it's, it's difficult to see what exists in the Liberal Party post-Justin Trudeau. So if, if things continue on the way that they are, I mean, the best that he can probably hope for is either a, a 2019-2021 or result, which is basically identical. Potentially, he could win a fourth election, but there's every chance that he could lose it. Is he the kind of person who's going to hang around for a loss? Uh, you know, it's difficult to see. Is when his father lost in 1979, he walked away, and they had to beg him to come back. And then he he won in 1984 and formed a, another majority government. But you know, it's it's it, the, the walls are closing in here. Yeah. Um, on the on the Liberal Party, there's so much that's been built over for such a period of time. I mean, when we ever we have, whenever we go out and we ask Canadians whether or not they want to see a change in government, the answers are really um, very uh, emphatic that people want to see a change in government. Now, the Ask me. Justin, go ahead. Sir, Ask right? me. Ask me, Daryl. <laughs> well, you have to just uh, respond to the survey. Uh, but the, but the, um, uh, the truth is that the Conservatives probably had them in that position in 2019 and 2021 and gave it away. Yes, they did. So let's, let's see if Paul, Pierre Polyev is made of different stuff. And Justin Trudeau has more lives than a cat. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to watch how he's been able to survive things that would have been fatal for any other uh, national politician in Canada. He's been able to pull it out, but it, it looks to me like the walls are closing in. Yeah, there was a famous quote by a former cabinet minister and a would-be prime minister, something about couldn't score on an open net. And 
after the last election. Daryl, I, I don't know if it's fair for me to do this, but how would you predict the next federal election will turn out? If, if we were going to have uh, an election, if an election were going to be called uh, before the end of 2023 because of circumstances that might develop between now and December, how, do you, how would you propose the government of Canada might look? Well, you know, it's it's a, it's one of those situations where, you know, <laughs> the past is prologue. And, and we've seen in, in 2019 and 2021, plus all the public opinion data since then, that these two major parties are in deadlock. So, in, you know, the Conservatives have played the one big card they have, which is to change their leader, and they've done it twice, uh, and it hasn't paid off for them. So the question is, over the space of the next uh, year and a half, two years, whatever the period of time that the NDP and the Liberals are going to work together, can the Conservatives find a way to break out? And at this point, even as I said, though the, the walls are closed, closing in on the Liberals, they're still in as good a position today to win an election cam- campaign as they were in, in, in 2019 and 2021. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.